We are continuing this series that we've started several weeks ago as we were studying through the Gospel of Luke. And so I do encourage you, uh, again, if you, uh, if you miss one, again, with summer, I know we're all over the place, um, which is why I wanted to go through the Gospel this summer. Um, if, even if, you, if you're going to miss a week, or even if you're not going to miss a week, you can read ahead, look, we're covering two chapters a week. So today we're in, on, in chapter 7 and 8. Um, but if you, if you miss a message or, um, you know, or want to go back and, and catch up, um, all of our messages are available online. You can go to our website and you can check that out, um, and they're available there. Um, but also, as we're covering two chapters a week, I'm not able to cover all of the stories. And there's, there's so much in, in this gospel and, and in each of, each of these, these two chapter chunks. Um, so I encourage you to read it on your own, to dive deeper into those. Um, again, we have uh, follow-up questions that I write every week that dives deeper into, especially the stories that I skip over uh, here on Sunday morning I don't have time to cover. And those questions are available at the Info Center. We have our Sunday school class and a small group during second hour that are going through those as well as a group. Um, so we'd love to have you be a part of that and jump into those. Uh, but you can also go just go through them on your own. Uh, and I encourage you to do that. And, and those are also available on our website as well. Um, but as we've been working our way through the gospel, we see, again, the story of Jesus and his life and how he affected people and the miracles he did and, and how he challenged his disciples and gathered them. And, and this gospel of Luke is unique in that Luke was a trained physician. And so with that is he sees the world through a little different lens, right? He notices things that, that uh, maybe somebody who's not in medicine, right, wouldn't notice. And, and with that is we've seen, and we see especially this week in chapter 7 and 8, how much Luke focuses on physical healings and on miracles. Again, as a physician, he's looking at that, you know, from that perspective of saying, like, again, he can see medically, right, that these people had something wrong, and after Jesus, they don't. Right, and he can see, again, that how medically they were not healed or taken care of, but yet Jesus did things that med modern medicine at that time couldn't do, right? And so him, again, as he even tells us about these healings, right, is, um, you know, brings some authority to the fact, um, again, and playing into the purpose of why he wrote this gospel, right, to show us that what we hear about Jesus is, in fact, true. Again, and this is coming, again, from, from the perspective of a trained physician saying, these people have been healed. Right? And, again, I can't explain it other than it's the power of God. Right? As we see that to, um, today in our chapters 7 and 8, um, there are several miracles and healing stories that happen in these two chapters. Now, today, um, again, I, we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit, and we're going to kind of summarize a lot of these things. Because as I was praying and reading through these uh, in preparation, realized this, this theme kept rising to the surface for me, and that's, what we're going to focus on today is through these stories, so many times Jesus talks about their faith, the faith of those that were involved in these stories. Now, um, with that said, okay, is that we see throughout these chapters, we see a faith that prevails, right, and, and a faith that is commended by Jesus, and then we also see some struggles in faith and some challenges from Jesus about their faith. Now, with that, before we start and dive into these specific stories this morning, I want to pause for a moment and just look at this word faith, because this word faith is a word that we throw out a lot, especially in church, right? And yet, do we really know what it means? 
right? Because we can have faith in a lot of things. And, and kind of like love, right, is that faith can be defined in several different ways, right? We can have faith in all kinds of things, not just in God. In fact, even right now, as you're sitting in that chair, you're having faith that that chair is going to hold you up for the entire service, right? And we have faith in, in people, right, that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. We have faith in, in organizations and businesses that they're going to provide the service or product that they tell us they're going to provide, right? We have faith in so many things. And so I want to start this morning with the biblical definition of faith. Okay, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it's the evidence of things we cannot see. Okay, two-part definition. It is a hope, right? And it is an evidence of things we cannot see. Now, again, this translation, this NLT translations, right, says evidence of things I cannot see. I like the NIV version of this verse, right? This says a confidence in things I cannot see. Not just an evidence, but a confidence. Now, when we think about that definition, right, one is I have a hope, right, for something in the future, right? A hope that's going to be better as I move forward, right? I have faith, right, in a God, right, that's going to make things better. I have a hope for the future. Okay, and then also he says, right, is, is again, an evidence or confidence of things that I cannot see. And again, a faith, right, is in something that is unexplainable, right, or in something that is un, or not quite tangible. All right, now, like I said, we, we can exercise our faith, right, in something like in a physical thing like a chair, right, and again, but yet the faith is not in the chair itself, right? It's, it's the feeling that I have or the confidence that I have, the trust that I have that it will do its job. Right, and hold me up. So we get, we have a hope, right, and a confidence in what I cannot see. Right? Even something that I cannot explain, I still believe in. And that is a faith. Okay, so as we see that, this biblical definition of faith, right, then um, we see it work its way out in the lives of these people that interact with Jesus here in Luke chapter 7 and 8. So I want to start this morning with the story uh, that starts Luke chapter 7, and that uh, in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. And this is the first story, okay, that falls into the category of a faith that prevails, okay, a faith that is working. Okay, and first is the story of the faith of a Roman officer. Okay, again, this is a Roman officer, this is a government official, right, this is somebody that, again, the religious world doesn't necessarily like. Right? Because Israel did not like the fact that Roman was occupying their, their area and exercising authority over them. Okay, but this specific Roman officer was not just a low-ranking one. He was pretty high up in his command. I mean, he had a lot of people under him. He carried authority with his position. Now, this Roman officer had an incredibly strong faith in Jesus. Now, this, he had a slave, somebody in his ranks, again, that served him, right, that he cared about and that became sick and was close to dying. And so as this, again, Roman officer reached to this place, right, as he had a faith, right, that Jesus was what he needed, right? His hope was in Jesus healing the slave. It was not in physical doctors. Chance that they'd probably already been there and said, well, there's really not much we can do. Right, so he had this faith in Jesus. So he sends the messengers 
to find Jesus. Right? And he sends these messengers, and the message that they, that they took was, my, my, my master, my, this Roman officer, sent us to tell you he's got this, this slave that, that, is, that he cares about deeply, that is sick and dying, and that you can heal. And so come to his house and heal this slave. Now, in the time it took these messengers to go find Jesus and to deliver this message, which they did, they found Jesus, they delivered the message, and the, Jesus is like, okay, like, I, I like this, this scenario, I'll, I'll go to this guy's house. He's on his way, then, but in the midst of this time lapse, this Roman officer kind of questions himself a little bit, and even whether he should even be asking this of Jesus. And so he, he sends a second wave of messengers, okay, with a new message. And the, the add-on message of the second wave was, Jesus, I am not worthy of even physically meeting you. Right? And so I, I don't even need you to come to my house. If you just say the word, I know you can heal him from a distance. Okay? And so this Roman officer again sends this second wave saying like, Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm a bad person. I, I don't want to be, you know, I'm not worthy of meeting you. So again, in humbleness, he says, but I, my faith, I still know you will, can, and will. And so Jesus then, right, um, gives us a response to this second add-on message in Luke 7, verse 9. Okay, where he says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Now this, there's a couple levels here at this statement that Jesus makes. Number one is he's commending, again, the officer and his faith, right, and the strength of his faith, okay, that he knows is like, Jesus, you're powerful enough, you can just, you can heal this guy even from afar, you just say it, it'll happen, right, but then Jesus throws this little dig in of saying like, not only is this guy's faith so strong, right, but this Roman officer has a better faith than all of Israel, right, and this would have been an incredibly social and political insult. To this crowd, right, as Hebrews, because they didn't like Rome. They did, especially Roman officers that are inflicting Rome's, you know, iron hand over them, right? And yet, Jesus is saying, even a Roman officer has a stronger faith than you guys, and you're Israel, right? And we see, again, the strength of this guy's faith, and, and Jesus does exactly what he tells them what his hope was, right? He's literally, Jesus heals this guy, right? Because then they show up, the messengers show back up to the house and realize the slave's been healed, right? And so, again, Jesus does this miracle. Okay, the next um, story of, of a faith that prevails, okay, is in uh, Luke 7, 36 through 50. Okay, now this is where we see the faith of a sinful woman. Now, this scenario here is Jesus is invited over for dinner to a Pharisee's house. Now, remember, in a previous message, we saw Jesus hung out with Levi, right, and these tax collectors and sinners and had dinner there, right, and he was reprimanded, right, or called out by the Pharisees for eating with such horrible people. And now this Pharisee invites him to dinner at his house. And so Jesus goes over for dinner at this guy's house, and, and he's, he, there's, they're there, they're eating, and, and, and this sinful woman comes into this guy's house, washes Jesus' feet with her tears, dries them with her hair, and then 
um, anoints his feet with perfume, expensive perfume. And then this Pharisee, right, kind of calls out Jesus and this woman, right, and, and in this, in, in the story, and says, man, th- this guy can't really be a prophet, right, because if he was, he would know about well, who this lady really is and the life she really, you know, leads. Now, interesting to me in the story is the fact that, one, this Pharisee um, knows this woman and her reputation. Kind of makes me wonder why he knows that. Okay, as well as he, he's already let her in his home. Right, which kind of makes me wonder or question the relationship, really, between this Pharisee and this woman in the first place. Okay, but then, not only that, but then Jesus then calls him out, right, in, as he's thinking these things, calls this Pharisee out sitting at his table and says, hey, this lady's doing something for me that you, even as the host, should have done. Right? I got here, you didn't even offer anybody to wash my feet, which was the normal custom when you have company in your home. But he's saying, not only that, right, is now she's anointing me with this expensive perfume, which, you know, was, was uh, so much, it was a huge sacrifice for her. Okay, and, and again, he, he um, then Jesus here, though, again, does not heal this lady physically. She didn't have a physical ailment that needed healing, but she had a lot of sins that needed forgiving, right, which is why, again, she gets thrown under the bus in the first place, right? And now Jesus, again, doesn't heal her physically, but he does heal her spiritually, right? When he tells this woman, then, in verse 50, he, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Right, and then he gets into this, again, kind of strong discussion with this Pharisee about whether he even has the authority to forgive sins. Right, and Jesus is like, well, of course I do. I'm the Messiah. Right, God has the authority to forgive sins. And, but notice, again, what saved her, what brought in that forgiveness in her life? It was her faith. Right? She was, knew what she hoped for. And she had a confidence of what she could not see. But then we continue on through the chapter, and we see then um, this, this last two stories that are, that are intertwined in chapter 8. Okay, and this is the faith of Jairus and a suffering woman. Okay, now here, this, this man Jairus okay, um, and this, this woman's story get intertwined um, and with each other throughout this this passage. Okay, first, um, Jairus's daughter is sick and dying. Okay, and so he comes to Jesus and comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I need you to come to my house and heal my daughter. Because if you don't, she's going to die. Like, she's that close. Right, again, they've exhausted everything they can do to heal her. She's not healed. She's not getting any better. So he comes to Jesus and says, well, my faith is in Jesus. I know he can heal her. So Jairus comes. He finds Jesus and says, Jesus, you got to come with me to my house. He's like, all right, this sounds like something I'm up for. So they get, they get started and they start moving towards his house. Now, uh, in the midst of their, their journey to this guy's house, right, they're, they're walking through this large crowd of people. Okay, now, again, we just celebrated the 4th of July. We had all kinds of things, right, and community parades and all kinds of things. We know what it's like to be in a large crowd. Right, and as they're walking through the crowd, right, I mean, one, he's got his disciples Jairus is leading him through. Jesus is kind of walking through. And we know people are bumping into him, right? Like, like all is happening. They're trying to make their way through this crowd to get to Jairus' house. Right? And all of a sudden, Jesus stops, right, and says, hold on, time out. I need to know who touched me. 
Right now, again, they're walking through, and, you know, Peter, right, one of the disciples kind of leads over to Jesus and be like, Jesus, everyone's touching you. Right, like you're in a crowd. Right, and Jesus is like, no, because somebody touched me, and they were healed. I mean, I felt this, this healing power went out of me. This person, somebody was healed, and I want to know who it is. Right, now, who was healed was this suffering woman. This woman was in the crowd. Again, she had been suffering for, for years and years, again, the ailment she could not be healed, you know, physically from, by a doctor or by any treatment. It says she'd been suffering for years. Now, her faith, again, was in Christ, and she was the one who touched and was healed. Now, truthfully, though, she didn't even touch Jesus, actually touch Jesus. It says she, like, touched the hem of his cloak. She literally didn't even touch his physical body. She literally just like pinched the end of his robe and she gets healed instantly. Right? And that's when Jesus stopped and was like, wait a minute, I want to talk to whoever this was. Right? Because notice again, Jesus didn't even know where she was, but it was her faith. Right? And just in Jesus and the healing power is just literally touching his, the, the hem of his robe that healed her. And notice again, then this woman finally realized, like, oh, wow, he's not going to move on without me. So she finally passes up and was like, it was me, Lord. Right? And then we see here in verse 48, Jesus talks to her and he looks to her and he says, daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, as we see, again, this statement of Jesus, as we've talked about in just previous chapters, we talk about our identity. Right, and about, again, the identity that we need to live out as followers of Jesus. And notice how Jesus addresses her. Right, he calls her daughter. Right, this is a woman who has been socially outcast because of her condition. Right, she has been pushed out of society. Right, she was at the end of her rope. Right, her identity was, get away from me. And yet she comes in her face, she touches the hem of Jesus' cloak, and then she's called daughter. And that's her real identity. Right? And, and then Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. Again, a command, right, and something that she's now going to live out as the daughter of the one true king, and a peace that she has never felt before. Right? Her life has never been peaceful. Right? And yet Jesus calls her by her true identity and sends her on her way to a whole new life that she's never experienced before. And again, and what caused it, right? It was her faith that caused it. Her, her hope for a change, right? And her confidence in that she could not see. Right? And then, in the midst of all of this, this bustle that's happening in the crowd... Right, is Jesus and Jairus are delayed, right, to get to his house. And while all of this is going on, right, his daughter literally dies. Right, and now, now so then they, they move on from this situation. And can you imagine Jairus as he walks up to the house? Because now the house that used to be filled with people praying and, and trying to heal the daughter has now shifted gears to preparing a funeral. Right, and Jairus is walking up to his house, right, and I can just, again, as a parent, I can just imagine, right, that Jairus walks up and is thinking, what, okay, what, again, he knows probably in his heart what happened. 
right? And then the thought would run through his mind, like, I failed. Like, I went to find Jesus. I had this faith in Jesus. I went to, to save my daughter, and I failed. She's dead. Right? And, and as Jairus, again, we can step into his shoes as he's walking up to his house, and he's, he's seeing what is happening as they're preparing for her funeral now. Right? And, and walking up, and again, to Jairus, you can, I can just imagine. And then, then Jesus turns to Jairus, and he tells him this in verse 50. It says, but when Jesus heard what had happened, he says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith, because she'll be healed. Okay, your faith, don't let it be shaken by what's happening in front of you. Right, because what's happening in front of you is, is again, what the world happens, but, but guess what? Your faith is not in the world. Your faith, your faith is in me. Right, and you're not a failure. Because you found me and you brought me to your house. Right? And Jesus literally walks into the house and he kind of looks at her. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you so sad? She's not dead. She's asleep. Right? And he grabs Peter, James, and John and Jairus and says, come on, guys. Let's go, let's go wake her up. And they walk into her room and they, he literally brings her back from the dead. Right? Not only did he physically heal, but now he's raising dead girls. Right, again, something that Luke could never explain outside of the power of Christ. Right, and, and so, again, what, what brought on this incredible story right, of Jesus bringing this girl back to life, it's the faith of her father, Jairus. And then, as we see all this faith that prevails in these huge ways, right, we also though, see in these chapters faith that struggles. Now, again, these characters are, are, again, for the most part, no-name people, right, other than Jairus. I mean, he's the only one we get a name for. Right? And now, the faith that struggles, though, in these chapters are not no-name people. Okay, because this other category of faith, right, is faith that struggles. Now, the, the first one in here in chapter 7, going back, the first one that has a struggling faith is John the Baptist. Okay, in Luke 7, 18 through 30, John the Baptist questions his faith in Jesus. Now, this is the same John that in these first few chapters, their birth narratives literally intermingle between John and Jesus. Okay, this is the same John that baptized Jesus in the Jordan River and, and sees the, the Spirit of God descend and hears the, the, the voice of the Father. Right, this is the same John that in chapter you know, uh, 3 of, of the Gospel of John says, that Jesus will become greater and I will become less. And, and this is the same John, and yet here he hits a struggle in his faith and literally sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah or is my faith misplaced? Right? And, and, and Jesus responds to his disciples. He's like, okay, hey, go back to John and just tell him what you see. Right, that, that people are being healed, the dead are being raised, like people are being forgiven of their sins. Like, yes, John, I am the Messiah. You know, in this moment, right, as John is questioning and struggling in his faith, in this, this, this moment, right, Jesus gives this message to send back to John, saying, of course I'm the Messiah. Right, just, just look at the obvious, John. Right, and then a few verses later in verse 28, Jesus says this about John. He says, I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. 
Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Again, now he's looking at, at the crowd, right, that has just heard this question of John the Baptist. Like, are you really the Messiah, or am I mistaken? Right? And, and, and he tells them that as far as prophets go, as far as earthly standards go, John is the top. Because his role as a prophet was to pave the way for the Messiah. Again, according to, to earthly standards, he's like at the top of the list of prophets. And yet even his faith struggled. Right, and then the last part of this verse, right, he says, but yet, again, his earthly status, right, is at the type. But he's like, but anybody in the kingdom of God, right, is, is even above that, right? Say, even above the prophets is those who are saved, right? Those are, as God's child, we're all equal in God's kingdom. Right, and so, again, the, the work of the Messiah is to, to save everyone. Right, so yet even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than even any earthly prophet. Right, because you will have the Holy Spirit within you. Right, so again, he's saying, like he's commending John, even in the midst of the struggle of his faith, right, he's lifting John up and saying, no, this guy is the guy that you still should follow. And then we see the other time in these chapters where a faith struggle okay, is in chapter 8, and that is where literally the disciples' faith is questioned by Jesus himself. Again, in this story, right, they're, um, they're, they're crossing the, the lake, the sea, right, and the storm comes up, and, and they're, they're, the waves come up, and the, the, the boat is getting swamped, and they're, they're afraid that they're going to die, and Jesus, this whole time, is asleep in the boat. Right now, remember, these are, there's a handful of professional fishermen on this boat. They know how to handle a boat, right, and yet they get to the point, even where they're like, guys, we're going down. We better wake up Jesus. Right? And they go down and wake him up. Right? And then Jesus literally gets up, right? Just calms the storm. Right? He's like, storm, stop. It does, right? And then and then looks at them. Right? And this is what Jesus tells the disciples. Right? He asked them, Where's your faith? And the disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They ask each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves. Obey him. And again, these disciples, right, they, they've been walking with Jesus now every day, right, for, for quite a while. They've seen all of these healings and these miracles. They've seen John's faith struggle, right, all of this, and yet they have no faith, right, that Jesus is going to get them through the storm. Right, this is like the moment in the movie, right, when like the lead character 30 minutes in gets in this, this horrible predicament and where you get all nervous, like, are they going to make it through? Of course they are. It's only 30 minutes into the movie. <laughs> right? If they die in this scene, the movie's over. Right? And here, the disciples are going like, are we going to make it through? And Jesus is like, of course, I'm the Messiah. I've got a lot of work to do. And so do you guys, by the way. We're not going to die in this storm. Right? We've only just begun. Right? And he looks at them. He's like, guys, where's your faith? I And, and, here, these faith, this struggle of these faith, both of these stories are core followers of Jesus. And they both have struggles in their faith. Again, it doesn't mean that their faith isn't there. It doesn't mean that they aren't saved. It just means they're normal. They're normal humans that are following Jesus, and they have struggles. Right, and as we realize that, right, we need 
then for ourselves realize that our questions, our struggles, even our doubts need to be seen as a growth step, not as a failure. Okay, our questions, our struggles, our doubts within our faith are a growth step, not a failure. Because God is truth, and he has nothing to hide, and he's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. In fact, he'll, just like the disciples, will look at you and say, just keep your faith. We'll work through this. Right? And we need to view our struggles in faith as growth steps, not as failures. Because that's when we grow the most. Right? It's through our questions, through our doubts, through our struggles. And now, right in the core, the center of these two chapters, in Luke chapter 8, 4 through 15, Jesus gives us a parable. Okay, now I want to read that this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Where it says, One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks, and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plant. And still other seed fell on fertile soil. And this seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see, and when they hear, they won't understand. And this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their heart and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and pleasures in this life, and so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Now, right in the middle of all of these stories of prevailing faith and struggling faith, Jesus teaches this parable. Okay, and in this parable, Jesus describes four different kinds of faith. Okay, the first one he describes is the path, right, which represents no faith. Okay, this is hard, beaten down dirt. It has been trampled. It's been walked over. And this, again, is no faith. Right, this represents those that hear about Jesus but never engage, right? The message goes in one ear and right out the other one, and they go about their life affected zero by who Jesus is. No faith at all. Now, they have faith, but it's not in Jesus, right? No faith at all. Okay, the next faith that Jesus describes is the rocks, right? And the rocks represents a shallow faith. 
Again, is there growth? Yes. But not in both directions, right? There's no root. It doesn't go down deep. It's shallow. So that when, again, temptation comes, when the, the challenges of life come, when the faith is questioned, it just gets ripped right out very easily. These are those that engage with Jesus but get pulled away by other things and never truly follow Jesus. Can they engage with Jesus, but they never truly follow him? The next faith that is described, right, is the faith of, of the thorns. And in the thorns represents a distracted faith. Right, these are those people, again, that, that are committed followers of Jesus, Right, but God doesn't take first place in their life. God is certainly in the circle, right, but there's lots of other things in the circle too. Right, and, and God never takes the, the first place that he deserves. Right, we're distracted. Right, we, yes, we come to church. Yes, Jesus is a part of our life, but everything else is just as important. Right, and our faith is in not just Jesus, but in all kinds of things. Right, including ourselves. Right now, as we look at this faith and this, this idea of a distracted faith, right, as I look at the American church and at the American culture, I think the majority of people in, sitting in American churches today are stuck right here with a distracted faith. Right, and as we think about that and we think about our journey, we think about we go so far with Jesus, you know, we might even get to the point where we even get a taste of his blessings and his harvest in our life, right? But then we just get distracted, we move away. And, and instead of journeying in our faith, when we get to that point, we just, we stop our journey there, right? And we just kind of, we start camping, right? And we're comfortable, right? And it never grows into anything else. And as we think about that, I want to show you this, this quick little video that kind of illustrates this idea. So let's watch this about a distracted faith. Good morning, Reagan. Good morning. Good morning, Madison. Good morning, Johanna. Good morning, Johnny. People are always asking me why. Why do the same thing every year? Why not move on? And I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Johnny. Present. I'm comfortable. I know the routine. United States of America into the Republic. I don't want to brag, but. I'm pretty popular around here. I do really well in sports. Well, I'm just very successful here. Why would I go and mess that up by graduating? I mean, in the first grade, I may not know all the answers. The hours are longer. I hear they don't even have nap time. I mean, I just don't see the upside. Then first grade leads to second grade, second to third. It's really good. Then you're in high school reading boring books with no pictures. Three, four, five. But he was still hungry. Next thing you know, people expect you to get a job and give up summer vacation. <laughs> no, sir. I think I found my niche. Thank you very much. Home sweet kindergarten. Besides, I mean, what if I failed first grade? 
How humiliating would that be? Well, just don't think I could handle that kind of embarrassment. And sometimes better watch you. That was not a good choice. Very disappointed. I think that represents the American church pretty well. As we think about that, right, did, I don't know if you caught it, but the, the very first line, and he comes in, right, he's talking about kindergarten. He says, I'm comfortable. I know the routine. Why would I want to change? Right, and so many times we get our faith right there, right? We journey so far, and we get a little bit of taste of who God is, right? And then we just want to stay right there. I'm comfortable. I know the routine. I'm good. Right, but we're really not. Right, because our faith is still distracted, right? We still focus on so many other things. Right, and we never then get to stage four, right, which is the fertile soil. And that is a mature faith that will produce a harvest. Now notice I put harvest in quotations, okay, because that can mean a lot of different things to every person, depending on where you are in your journey. Again, you get to that point, right, and then, again, a harvest can mean so many different things. General observations about this parable. One is three of the four of them have a saving faith, but they don't all have a growing faith. Right, to put that in our language here, right, is they have a faith, they've joined the journey, but they're not journeying anywhere. Right, because only one of the four, 25% of what Jesus described has a mature faith that is actually producing a harvest a growing faith, a journeying faith. Jesus, again, here is describing a faith journey. Right? And when we look at these things, I want to challenge us this morning to look at these as growth stages, not ending points. Growth stages, not ending points. Because I can't, again, speak about your journey, but I can tell you about mine. Right? There have been times in my life when my hard, my hard heart has just pushed God away right away, and I've never heard it. Right, there have been times in my life where I've had a very shallow faith, right? And rocks come in, and as soon as temptation comes, it just it gets pulled out right away. Right, and there's been times in my life I've been distracted, right? And I get a taste of what God's doing, but it's just a taste, right, of what God really wants to do in my life. And there's also been times in my life I've had fertile soil, right? And I've, God's pushed me out of my comfort zone, right? And, and I experienced God in a whole new way. And now again, as a mature faith, right, that, that harvest changes in our life. Right, sometimes maybe that harvest, right, is obviously our salvation. Maybe that harvest is even just taking that next step of growth in my faith. Me growing in my faith is a harvest. Right, me sharing God's word is a harvest. Right, me serving in places or in a new perspective on the world is a harvest in my faith. Right, and when we get to that point, right, that harvest continues to replicate itself as our journey moves forward. A few key words in verse 15 as he explains this, this mature faith. Number one is he says, those that patiently produce a huge harvest. That word patiently, that's a hard word, right, because it's slow, right? It takes a while, right? We want instant results, Right, but God, again, Jesus says this kind of faith is patient. Right, and then also, again, it doesn't just produce a little bit of harvest. 
right, as we patiently journey forward. It's a huge harvest. We get a small taste of harvest, and then we get up when it gets, when we give up when it's hard. Right, but what, what is hard in the moment pays off in the long term. Okay, what is hard in the moment pays off in the long term. That's true financially, that's true physically, right? That's true spiritually. What is hard in the moment will pay off in the long term if it's focused on Christ. Right, James 2, 19 through 20 and 26 gives us this challenge about our faith. So you say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. As we see this challenge, again, this is not describing a saving faith. This is describing a discipleship phase of faith. Right, harvest, good works, good deeds, these are all very open-ended phrases. And they take on very different meanings depending on where you are in your journey. Right, your own faith growing is a harvest. Serving in different areas of your life is a harvest. Sharing your hope you have in Jesus with others is harvest. Leading by example is harvest, and I could keep going on. Right, but faith is the key to your journey moving forward. Faith is the key to your journey moving forward. Right, are you sure of what you hope for? Are you certain of what you cannot see? Right, because if you are, right, then the impossible becomes possible. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus tells us about faith, and that is our final thought this morning in Matthew 17, 20. Where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Again, I don't know where you're at in your journey, but if you're staring at something that seems impossible, then strengthen your faith. Because the stronger your faith, the impossible will happen. Strengthen your faith. Faith is the key to your journey moving forward. Lord God, we thank you, God, that even in our struggles, even in our doubts, God, we can have our faith strongly in you. God, that you won't let us down. God, you will walk with us through whatever we're facing. And God, in our faith journey, God, we pray that you will help us to be stronger in our faith tomorrow as we are today. God, help us to continue to move forward in our journey. God, to take that step. God, to strengthen our faith. God, that we can shine your light, God, in this dark world this week. Lord, as we live out our faith with everything we have. Lord, guide us this week as we leave. God, as we shine your light. Lord, we thank you that you are our lighthouse. God, bring us safe to shore. In Jesus' name, amen.